0: Welcome to the broadcast of the First Baptist Church in Riverton, Kansas. We're so glad you joined us today as Pastor Aaron Williams shares a timely message from God's Word. At FBCR, the vision is to first and foremost build the church on the solid rock truth of Jesus Christ. Second, to see people saved and set free by accepting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior and then following Him in believers' baptism. Third, we want to develop fully committed disciples of Christ who will grow spiritually in their faith and worship Him in spirit and in truth. And finally, to send an army of believers into the world as missionaries, sharing the gospel with those who don't know the Lord. Jesus is the rock that won't move. His word is strong and powerful, and His love can never be undone. Now with today's message, here's Brother Aaron. Aaron.
1: Acts chapter 26, we're going to read verse 13 through 19. And then I like to uh, teach, exhort, preach, do everything we can in a very short amount of time. You know, probably 90 minutes or so. Just kidding. Okay. Amen. 26th chapter man. Uh, uh, 26 chapter of Acts, verse 13. At midday, O king, Paul is before King Agrippa. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. Paul's on his way somewhere. He's on commission from the chief priest. It's at midday. The sun's the brightest. But he saw in the way. Do you ever notice that a light from heaven can get in your way sometimes? At the brightest time when you thought you had it going on. You thought your life was just where it needed to be at midday, the brightest light. You find out there's a light greater than your light that comes from heaven, and it has a way of getting in your way. Above the brightness of the sun. That means the sun stood no chance against the brightness that he saw on this day. It shone round about him, he said in the 13th verse, and them which journeyed with me. So everyone's seen it. Verse 14. And when we were all fallen to the earth... I heard a voice speaking to me, and he said in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against a prick? That's a word used for the Christians of the day. He was on his way to persecute Christians. Verse 15, And I said, and don't we all, who are you, Lord? This is the question asked of Saul, soon to be Paul, the apostle. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Maybe you know that Saul went to persecute the church, but every one of us had persecuted Jesus Christ before we come to be converted. After conversion, you have an opportunity to be giving God glory through your faith in Jesus. For that, you may find yourself a persecutor. Verse 16. But rise, they had fallen to the earth, and stand upon your feet. I have appeared to you, For this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of these things which you have seen and of the things which I will appear unto you, I will deliver you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you to open their eyes to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. An inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith, that is in me. This is Jesus talking. Verse 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Would you say that part with me? I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Wow. So today I want to talk a little bit about vision. It's amazing in our lives how we really do develop vision for our life. And if I was to ask uh, some of you, where are you headed financially? Many of you may have a plan. You've looked at your finances. You've looked and maybe made a budget. You have looked at the future and what expenses look like. But no doubt... The, it's very important that if you were going to succeed financially, that you would need to know where you're headed. And you'd have a vision for this. And so a vision would may require, uh, to, to maintain the same job and the same schedule that you have. It may require that you do something different and make an adjustment there. And maybe as couples, uh, you start to look at this together, and boy, you really... But this is a vision. You're really knowing you need to get somewhere. You're wondering how to get there, and you're going to make the adjustments necessary so you can accomplish that. And I like the last words that Paul uses. I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Boy, it's a, quite a contrast from Matthew chapter 10... And when Jesus begins to identify 12 disciples, and He lists all of their names, and I was looking over those names this week, and I was just looking at that, and it gets to the last name mentioned, and it's called, He's called Judas Iscariot. And this is what it said behind His name, who betrayed Jesus Christ. I thought, man... That is so sad. I do not... If I was reading my name or my children was reading my name and it was listed in some text like the Bible, I would not want my name in reference to and he betrayed Jesus Christ. Boy, how encouraging it is to read Paul that said, look, this is what happened to me. And here he is in uh, Acts chapter 26. He's actually before King Agrippa. Agrippa was aware of Paul. They had served together. They were very aware of the same customs, and when he starts out with Agrippa, he gives him the right hand. He gives him the authority, O King Agrippa, I thank myself happy. And keep that note, sometimes you need to thank yourself happy. Sometimes you need to thank yourself happy, right? Right? Think on these things. Quit thinking on the other things. There's a way you can think on some things that begin to not make you happy. They'll cause you to be in unbelief and murmur and doubt and anger and ask more questions than God can give you answers for at times. Because we get so caught in that, I'm not going to think the right way. And if we're going to embrace Christ as the Lordship and the Kingship of our life, we've given our life to Him. And Brother Bill prayed wonderfully well. He thanked God for those who had given their life in sacrificial freedom by serving in the military of our country. That give us the freedoms that we enjoy today. But listen, every Christian here, if you've come to the cross, you've also died to death. You're also giving your life up for something else. And the Christian, and Paul understood as he stood before Agrippa, he said, I thank myself happy that I could be before you today, for you understand the custom. You understand our laws. You know." He could have said, Agrippa, you know who I am. I was so faithful to all that was going on here. You know my zeal. You know all of these things. And he gets in this whole... Uh, informational chapter on who not only he was, but who Christ was now in him as a result of this one experience that he had. Now, Paul would later use this conversion experience to show people not only who he was, and then he would go intellectually and theologically to prove to them by the Old Testament Scriptures, Jesus was who he said he was. But this all boils down at the end of the day to a vision that God gave him. And I don't mean just something where you're on your bed and, and you have a dream uh, or, or all the... And I'm not saying how God needs to do this. I'm saying for a church, I'm very interested in the vision for the church. I've been asking people individually and I believe as we come on Wednesday nights and we're praying for needs and we start praying, God, what is it you want out of the congregation? We need to set our eyes and affections upon what God wants out of this congregation because after all, it makes it all worthwhile. And if you set the budget for your home and you've got a vision financially, you understand why your husband has to leave at this time and come home at this time. You understand why maybe your wife went to school this length of years and has this student debt she needs to pay back because There was a vision for your future that you could raise your children and get them where you wanted to be. Maybe in retirement, you said, this is my vision. This is where I needed to be. And I'm only using the financial terms because this is something we all understand. Without a vision, we're going to go nowhere. What do they say? If You do the same thing again and again, thinking it's something brand new. It's really insanity. I mean, if you, you can do the same thing, get a different result, you're insane. But how many times in churches across the country, we're doing the same stuff over and over. And it's not that what we're doing is bad. But God, if you give us a vision that's so pointed, we know why we do what we do, why we sacrifice. When we give of our time, this is why we do it, because we're going for that. I mean, when I drop however, you know, money in the offering plate, do you, you need to have the security and assurance of prayer that pastors and leaders and finance committees, we're praying across the stage, God, every dollar that's there, let it pursue your, and expand your kingdom to the nth degree. And maybe you can't go knock on a door, but I know people here who can. This week I get a great opportunity to meet with a family that's wonderful people. Uh, I'm excited to meet with them and have some open conversation. I won't talk a great deal uh, about them specifically. Just a tremendous people we've seen some years ago. Um, uh, and I see they're not uh, believers, they're agnostic. And they needed a miracle. And they came and they said, uh, we wondered if you would pray for us. It's medically impossible. It's medically impossible For my wife to bear a child. I said I'd certainly be glad to pray. And so night after night. I still remember. Going to this little church. Where the pastor gave me a key. And before we ate ice cream. You've heard me talk about it. We would go up. And the family. And we'd crawl on this altar. And night after night. After night. And when no one was there. I kept going. And I kept going. And I remember the night. That I I got up from one of the altars. And I sat Just went backwards to the pew to sit down. Don't ask me how I knew, but I knew in that moment they would bear a child. And I wrote a little card. I apologized for my penmanship. I had spankings for it when I was in second grade. They thought I was just making a mess, but the truth was, it's still a mess. So if you don't get a handwritten letter from your pastor, that's why. It doesn't look very... very... But anyway, I wrote on the letter. I still remember the verse of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. Sarah, through, through faith, Sarah received strength to conceive. And brought forth a child in her old age. And I wrote that and I said, I've been praying because you asked. And I prayed every night. And I went there and I said, I'm writing this card to you to let you know I'm confident God will do what He said He would do, what you've asked for. And then at the bottom, I said, I'm sorry for my penmanship. I pray my prayers. Are better than my handwriting. And I mailed it. And it arrived. And it was a day she says later. Where they received a a horrific report. But God that day brought it to the mailbox. To let them know don't give up. Don't give up on me. I've heard your prayer. And I'm going to get you an answer. And I got to see that bright eyed little boy yesterday. And he's such a fine family and i get to meet with them this week i just want to talk of realities what do you think about what has god done i want to be honest with you as a minister also on the questions you have that's what i want to do i'll tell you one more and a young man called i'd met him some years ago and he was uh, trained he was the elite of his class the two percentile he got to pick what aircraft he would fly when he went into combat and i remember he would give me a call from germany and i he said "Do you remember me i said certainly i do he said i called my dad then i called you and he was asking about whether or not God could forgive his sin. And we went over the scriptures. And he said, I was wondering, this is the reason I called. I really called to wonder, would you pray? He didn't need a fancy sermon. He just wanted to know, would you pray? I would return home safely. I said, I certainly would. And again, every night after night after night, I'd go to the altar. Sometimes there was a group on Thursday nights, other nights there was nobody but God. He was enough. <laughs> You come home safely. Church, I want to encourage you. What happened in Paul the Apostle that would cause such moving, that would move him to action? What was it? It had to be beyond zeal. It had to be beyond... Listen, I've said it before. I can't keep a two-week diet. Let alone, what could I do for 26 years that would keep fanning the flame of desire, uh, love for my Savior, that you would take not only the joys of life, but the afflictions as well. It's only the gospel that can do this. It is only the gospel that shows us, compared to everything else in life, no matter what I may pursue as a father, whether I'm successful in a monetary position, or in my home, or otherwise, without God, that I would not be a success at all. What is it that brings me to the gravity of humility that I could come Come to that place and God himself would not push me down, but be willing to raise me up in a moment that I was so unsure and so honest to say, God, I need you and him to do in me something I was also unaware of. And at the end of the day, it's so zealous. And this is what Paul's sharing. And so I want to look at what was happening to Paul. He said he was at midday, a light greater than the light of the sun. And listen, we need this in Christianity. We don't need just church. Like a Church is a place you get fired up, you pray, you worship, and then you zoom out of here to do whatever it is called you to do. Uh, look here at what happened. He said, first of all, Paul the Apostle asked, Who are you, Lord? Who are you? And he said, I have appeared to you for this purpose. When you ask, Who is God? He's going to then appear to you to do something on His behalf. You want to know who God is, go out and get to doing what you've been called to do, and you'll find exactly who He is. And many times when we're searching out in the greatest need of our life, go find somebody to serve. Go find someone broke down, hungry, in the hospital, in the nursing home, and see that God doesn't meet your need. If you'll take care of God's business, He will take care of yours. I can assure you of that. Number one, He said, I want to make you a minister. He told Paul the Apostle, and it's disputed historically and uh, reliably, I believe, recorded among the most historians that he spoke over seven languages. He was a colossal mind. You can't match him when he gets on Mars Hill. You take Paul the Apostle and he comes to your town and stands on Mars Hill. He comes to your synagogue and wants to dispute with you over what's right and wrong. You're going to have a real hard time with this apologist. Colossal. Seven languages. What language do you want to speak in while you're talking with him? He could do it. And when he was done, he would talk about all of the the prophets that had spoken, how Christ had come. And this was the simplicity of the gospel. It was a gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said, I want to make you a minister. What if you're here today and God wants to make you a minister, but you think the only way you can minister is preaching from the pulpit? No question you can preach from the pulpit if you're a minister, but there are many other ways to minister. What's the ministry? What's your ministry? You can't be a minister without a ministry. And so God wants to do in you what can't be done otherwise. The next thing, look at what he wants to do. Number two. He said, I want to witness things; you to witness things you have seen. Witness. What have you seen? What have you seen in God? You see, I could preach sermon after sermon. And sometimes I could just stop and tell you. The first 24 years I didn't pastor. I was on the streets and I met with atheist groups to defend the scriptures and not to defend them in a way that one would win an argument, but to defend in a way to show them there's something far surpasses the intellect and that God does not deliver through intellect salvation, but by the heart that the Holy Spirit of God is able to convict in one moment. And some that know nothing absolutely at the end of the day can attain everything, not by what they understand, but by what they believe. Yet at times, I do understand it's necessary to defend theology. If they say a pastor doesn't need to be a theologian, they're wrong. Because there are too many arguments come against the Christian faith. He said, I want you to witness to them what you've seen. And then the third was, I want you to witness what I'm going to show you. So stuff you've not even seen yet, I want you to be a witness to somebody else on what I'm still going to show them. There's stuff I've not yet seen. You've not yet seen if you're a believer. What have you? Have you seen enough that you could go witness to someone and call it your ministry? He wanted to make Paul a minister. Let's just say next week you go among a group of all unbelievers and you're going to go minister what you've seen in God. What would you say? I don't know. Only you can answer it. But what is it that you would carry in there to say, this is the God I believe in and this is why? Someone asked you to pray. Have you prayed before and you've seen God? Maybe the first prayer you heard answered was in your own life. And that's enough. Paul started with that. This is what happened to me on a Damascus road. I was sent by commission... And he said, I want to make you a minister. I want you to witness what you saw, what you're going to see. And then he says something powerful. He said, I'm going to take you away from the people you're among. And then I'm going to send you back to them. And you know, Paul the Apostle was born in like 5 AD. He was converted around 34 AD. He died in 65 AD. So for 26 years, he spent 14 of it on the backside of a desert, if you will. This guy burned up continents. I mean, radicalized all across the nation, split up the Roman Empire, you may say. And when he come to town, look out. These men who have turned the world upside down have now come to our city. These apostles, when they got into town, something happened. And I see a revival of this. I really do. I see 30-year-olds that were made to come. And they're coming off the, the reserve army list into action right now. I had a call from one this morning it come from Fort Scott. A young man calls, says, I'm on my way to pray for a friend of mine, and I wanted to call you. I thank you for the passion, the Holy Spirit at work in the pulpit down there at that church. He said he wanted to pray for the pastor before he got in the pulpit this morning. I said, what's your name? We eat lunch together. Listen, I can tell by his voice, a young man, Listen, we're not here to take sides. God give us to be the light and salt of the earth. Church, we're not just hiding in the back corner waiting for what's going to happen. He's wanting us to go to a country who's absolutely disarrayed. This is postmodernism at its greatest right here. And this isn't the first generation that's ever come against the Bible or Christianity. We need to go to our classrooms. This is why I'm teaching in a Sunday school. How do you defend the deity of Jesus Christ? His mystery never confuses His majesty. You can have unity without uniformity. Just because we have denominations, we don't differ on the blood the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Come on, church. Why? Why would God send us as a church, as we're praying on these altars, Lord, what are we going to do? You say, Pastor, what's that mean to have a vision? I don't mean like a vision statement that is only the promotion of church, where it would become a business. I don't mean that. I mean, we're like you pray about vision, and it's going to actually be something you're willing to sacrifice for. Like, what does God want to do with the congregation? And I can spur you a little. But there's some churches their total their total objective was to send missionaries around the world. And the Baptists, I'll tell you what, some of their foundation is that they could send missionaries around the world. The problem grew to be is that we thought dropping the the check in the offering plate and funding the missionary ended our obligation to going after the Great Commission and going into the whole world baptizing them and they of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and even though it takes some money, it doesn't relieve our conscience from being missionaries at the heart as we were converted to Christ. Others like John Charles Wesley. John died, I believe, in 1792. He was converted at 35, preached 53 years. You add those together, he's 88 years of age when he died. What did John leave to the world? He left six silver spoons. They were gifts for preaching, each to be given to the six men that carried his body to the grave. Six pound notes, the equivalent of about $40 today. A handful of books and a faded Geneva gown that he preached 53 years in. And there's one other thing he left, the Methodist church. He was raised in the church and wasn't converted until he was 35. You know what, you know what John did with his money? He had a vision. He said, I'm going to finance missionaries to go around the world and I'm going to help my brother Charles who's equal, the preacher and the theologian, but took a back seat to John so that Charles could write theology and over 5,000 hymns that are in our hymn books today and said, I'll finance it. And when this man died, he died a pauper, if you will, in comparison to the bank accounts of men in our age. Yet he had done all, the, all of the treasures of heaven. He had bankrupted himself and spread the gospel around the world. They still talk about him. The truth is Wesley had rolled His grave at what the hierarchy of that church does today, but its foundation was men and women of prayer. They knew in England that the church was dead, it was going through the system and the motion, and you can see it in our culture, and oh man, what's our vision, church? And is it going to be worth it? Is it going to, I mean, is it going to be sacrificial? You know why you give your time, your money, your study, your prayer, all of the things that you give. If Romans 12 is right and you are a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and that's only a reasonable service, then man, there's a call to action. Listen, there's an opportunity today for you to be the greatest light to a country and a nation. The greatest light since the Wesley's seen then. There was revivals at the turn of the century in 1792 also, about the time of Wesley's death. They're born on the hearts of young people most of the time. So what's going to happen? I mean, does it have to be a big congregation in order to have a vision? That No, Jesus had 12. Jesus had 12. Jesus had 12. And one of them betrayed. Jesus had 11. Hold on. Jesus' close-knit leadership, like if we brought them to Wednesday night with us, Let's bring hold on, let's take a look at this. Does it take a mega church pastor? Like to multiply to all these little communities in the city? No. No. Let me show you the eleven. They were not out of the synagogue. Some were fishers, tax collectors, otherwise they were just so who God call? He just called those that would follow him. And man, he got them there, and they didn't look very stable at the cross. But he said, if you'll tarry at Jerusalem until you've been endued with power from on high, I'm going to give you something that will enable you the rest of your life to do what I've called you to do. And that was called the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, I've got to ascend so he could come. And if you don't let him get in you, he could have said to Peter, John, all of you're not going to have enough to make the journey. But once he gets in there, you're going to be ready to do the job. The difference was, Peter once, cowering down at the cross, now preaches a sermon, and he begins to tell them, you have crucified the King of glory. So what's going on with Paul the Apostle? Is God was giving him a vision, I want to make you a minister. I want you to witness what you've seen, and then I want you to witness what you've seen going to see. I want to take you from a people. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to send you back to the people. Many times where God delivers you from is where He'll take you back to to minister. So the people can identify with your life and how God's brought you out and the testimony you have and where you're going. And man, what? how do we do this? We can do it. There's more than 11 here. So what's our excuse? With, with asking God for a vision, that is. Tremendous church. Man, you're doing amazing things. Look what God's doing in your lives. Knitting, I see Him knitting you all together. I see you loving on one another. I see opportunity. A new believer comes in and they want to minister or do anything. I see opportunity. You see the children. We're not bypassing the children. Julie and I are going to get to take singles one after another of our seniors. And here we start this week. And we're going to just get and we're just going to keep on going. We're going to love on you and pray for you. We want to know what your needs are. And at the same time, while we're doing all that, we want to ask from God, God, what did you call us as a church to do? Why did you call us out? I mean, if this was our Damascus day and this is a day we're wondering, what well, God, what do you want out of us? I mean, do you want to actually use this church to begin to spawn other churches that live for 100 years? I mean, go to each town where there's nothing hardly left, and yeah, maybe you say there's only 200 people, it doesn't matter, and God will raise up a congregation of 60, 80, 100 people in that town. I know it to be true, and you get there. The great thing about the small towns, we've got them all throughout our region. You can get there within 40 minutes, and you can knock on every door on two Saturdays. You can knock on a door every, every door in two Saturdays and then you can multiply and rotate and missionaries like around this whole region and that way the First Baptist Church of Riverton has a direct Is this what it is? I'm just stirring your heart. Where are we going from here? What are we going to do? What's going to cause our children to have that fire to see that, man, my mother and father did what God asked us to do. I mean, we used to do this. Mine, mine could tell you, we remember nights we go to the treatment center. We set a little board uptown that said street meeting 7 p.m. And when we pulled up that night, Night, there, there was 40 people on the corner waiting to hear the gospel and We preached the gospel that night And then we took some of those to prayer And then other times we head to the hospital But I don't know What are we going to do Like it's going to be fun church This isn't just a brow session You know This is like what did God call you to do That wakes you up Makes you happy Makes you glad you're a part of the church A part of the body A part of the kingdom of God And a part of eternity Where you, God gets to do something in you Because of your response to Him What are we doing? At the end of this, he says, "I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision." And there you get in the last of Corinthians, and he begins to list all that happened. He said, "I was among false brethren. I was, uh, I was in perils of the sea. I was hungry. I was naked. I was all of these things." But you look at Paul the apostle; he spanned continents. At the end of the day, is that God die on the cross? Did Jesus get on the cross and go to the tomb and be raised again? Just so that we could get large groups of people together and that we're happy. And I mean, whatever. But it, does, it looks far cry different from this one life that's an example in the scriptures to me. Are we just, I mean, we can really get, at times, we could get happy with just, God does enough good for me. And no doubt he will. When you pray. But what does that cause? That caused such a love. Have you ever had him do something for you you didn't deserve? Have you ever had him do something for you you didn't understand? And what that caused? Such a love. His mercy and his grace has just been given to me. Maybe he's given to you some new joy. I'm just asking you where, not only where are we, but as a body, if there's at least 11, I believe we have a great biblical pattern for moving forward. See, all those disciples, they said, Master, at the first when they first met him, Master, where do you dwell? And I'm closing with this. And here's what he said, come and see. And it's when they started following Jesus that they didn't just find out who he was, they find out who they were. And the best way you'll find out who you are is start following the Son of God and let Him show you who He made you to be. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. If you would like to learn more about our church, we would love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 620-848-3347. Or you may write to us at Post Office Box 400, Riverton, Kansas 66770. We're also on Facebook and online at rivertonfbc.com. The church is located just two blocks north of the Riverton Quick Stop and one block west on Bluebird Lane. Or one block south of Community Bank and Trust and one block east also on Bluebird Lane. Our worship services are Sunday mornings at 1045 and Wednesday nights at 7. We also have small group Bible studies available for children, youth, and adults. On behalf of Brother Aaron Williams and the entire congregation at FBCR, this is Downtown Keith Brown inviting you to join us again next Sunday morning for another exciting message from God's Word. Have a great week and God bless.